John 19, 25. You just got a preview of what we're talking about today. John 19, starting with verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. Okay, so this is the only gospel that actually mentions that Mary was there, which is interesting. And why do you think John is the one who mentions Mary is there? Because he was there. He's the one Jesus is talking to, who says, son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. So John remembers that. So he's writing his own story. <laughs> I mean, he's writing his experience of Jesus at the cross. And different people are at different distances away from the cross. And some people have gone into great length talking about how the ones who had more faith or maybe loved Jesus a little more, were a little closer. Um, I don't know if you can go that far, but it does say Mary and the other women, who we'll talk about in a minute, and John were right there. They, they were the closest. They were right there at the foot of the cross. It seems like they didn't even care that people saw them or knew that they were associated with Jesus. Contrast that with Peter the night before, who's denying Jesus, right? So we've, we've got some different responses here. And so Mary is there. Now, in the past, there have been some issues with Mary maybe not believing, right? And, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But um, in Mark 3, Mary and Jesus' brothers come to Jesus because they thought he was out of his mind, it says in Mark. They thought he was nuts. You're taking this Messiah thing way too far, right? Um, because they're looking at the natural and what's happening, and everybody's getting mad, and they're talking about arresting him, and they're talking about killing him. And I think it was a fear response like, I know you're God's man and all this kind of stuff, but you're going to get yourself killed. Like, you've got you to gotta dial back a notch. Um, and so that happened in the not-too-distant past. And now here we are at the cross. Jesus' brothers did not come. They didn't, they didn't believe. They didn't want anything to do with this. Um, but Mary is there. And so Mary comes around <laughs> at some point, right? Um, and she's one of the followers of Jesus we know through um, through Luke's writing in Luke and Acts. And so she's a disciple off and on, along with, um, we're at verse 25, uh, along with his mother's sister. And his mother's sister is most likely the mother of John and James. So the apostle John who wrote this, his mom was there too, who is Mary's sister. And then the other Mary, as it's, as it's sometimes called, um, and she was the mother of J the other James, okay? So we got three of the moms, Jesus' mom, John and James' mom, the other James, or James the Lesser. I think that's mean, so I don't call him that. Um, he must have been really humble to accept the title of James the Lesser, right? James the not quite so good as the other two James. Um, and all these ladies are there at the foot of the cross, so they're, they're not afraid. This is very interesting to me. Where's Peter. Where's James? Where's Andrew? Where's any of those dudes? John's the only dude here. Seems, I don't, want, I don't want to judge too harshly, but it, I don't know. It, it seems a little cowardly to me. It seems a little like, what's going on, man? You followed this guy to the ends of the earth. You slept on rocks. You, you, got, you got yelled at. You got, where are you now? Why did you abandon me now at the end? Now, they, a lot of them are there, but they're like scattered around wearing cloaks so nobody notices who they are. And these, these, these ladies and John, they just don't care. They're, they're there probably weeping, I would imagine. Um, now, this was prophesied. Mary, Mary knew this was going to happen. The 
which I think was part of the fear thing as Jesus was going into his ministry. In Luke, it was prophesied by Gabriel, I believe. And a sword shall pierce your own soul, too. Simeon? Oh, that's right. Simeon, when she, when he, she went into the temple. And so she, I think she knows. And now it's finally happening. So th- think about Mary's, this is her worst fear. Her worst fear is coming true. She's watching her worst fear unfold in front of her. What she was hoping against hope all these years would never happen. It's happening right now. Her son is being killed right in front of her. Uh, Verse 25. So standing by the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is how John refers to himself, trying to be humble. Doesn't sound that humble maybe, but, but it's true, right? I am who you say I am. We are all the disciple Jesus loves, and that's accurate, right? Who are you? I'm a beloved child of God. That's right. So, and the disciple whom Jesus loved were standing nearby, very close, very close proximity, enough to get blood on him probably. And he said to his mother, so Jesus says to Mary, woman, behold your son. And to our modern ears, calling his mother woman sounds inappropriate, but it was very, that's just how they did it then, and it wasn't. A disrespect thing. Jesus always respects Mary, his mother. Um, Woman, behold your son, pointing to John. Okay? So behold your son. And he said to the disciple, to John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. So what's going on here? Uh, They finally arrested Jesus and they're murdering him. So this is real. Mary's in danger. Right? It's widely known that Jesus was illegitimate because nobody believed the whole virgin birth thing. And so, oh, there's his whore mother. Let's get her too. You wouldn't have been able to stop a mob from doing something. Okay? She's not going to get arrested. She didn't do anything wrong, but you're not going to stop the mob, who's all stirred up and angry, and the devil's just riling up their murderous desires, right? And Jesus knows this, and his brothers are shirking their duty. They should, James, his oldest brother, ought to be right there to protect her. They all ought to be there to protect her, and they're not. And Jesus isn't judging his brothers. He's already forgiving them. James is one of the first people he goes to, by the way, when he, when he, uh, when he comes back after the resurrection. James is the only non-Christian Jesus does go to. So he always loved his brothers, and, and he intends to go back to them, but they're not there now. And so he's like, okay, John, you need to take care of my mom while, while she's still in the city. This is not a safe place for her. This is not a safe time. And so there he is on the cross, un- undergoing the worst pain and suffering imaginable. I'm sure we've all heard a lot of sermons on, on the specificity of how horrible the crucifixion was. And there he is going through all of that. This is towards the very end now. He can barely talk, barely breathe. But he's thinking about other people. Okay? He says, Father, forgive those guys. They don't understand what they're doing. He's thinking about them. He's thinking about forgiving other people. He's thinking about his mom. I, I, I want to make sure my mom is safe. And so she puts her into the care of John to make sure that she is. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. This, it's a great glimpse into the humanity of Jesus, right? I mean, it's easy to think of Jesus has bigger things on his mind, right? Jesus is super important. He's literally dying for the sins of the entire world, past, present, future right now. So, yes, he has a lot going on. He has that big assignment, but he's still a human being. He's still a son. He's still a brother. And so he cares about his earthly family. 
it's, it's important, I think, as we read the scripture to, to understand not just the divinity of Jesus, but the humanity of Jesus. Because sometimes we think of God as being far away and having more important things on his mind than us. But that's not true. Jesus is there on the cross, and he's thinking about family. He's thinking about his mom. He's concerned about his mom, who hasn't always been there for him, hasn't always had his back, had some betrayal in there. But he's thinking about her. And I think that's a great example for us to try to overcome that selfishness, like I was talking to the kids about. Because when things are bad, and it doesn't get worse than being murdered, <laughs> right? Being tortured is literally the worst. Um, I'm trying to lighten the mood a little bit, because the mood is, is dire, right? Um, it doesn't get worse than that. But even in the midst of that, Jesus isn't staring at himself. And that's our tendency, right? When our circumstances are bad, when we've got a big problem, when stuff is going on, the tendency is to get stuck staring at how terrible the circumstance is. And I don't know what Mary and John were doing. They may have been staring at the circumstance. It's hard not to when someone's being killed in front of you who you love, right? But Jesus is seeing things from God's perspective. He's seeing things from his father's perspective. And so he's able to look past his own pain. He doesn't want to be going through this. He, he did the Garden of Gethsemane where he's like, please, let's come up with a new plan. There's got to be a better plan. This plan is my least favorite plan of all the plans. And the father's like, I'm sorry, this is the plan. And Jesus kept asking hard for an hour, as Paul was saying. He swept drops of blood. So I burst capillaries in his eyes, crying blood, that sort of thing. Like, he did not, he was not a masochist by any means, okay? He knew what was coming. And it wasn't the physical pain he was worried about so much as it was the emotional pain because he had all the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future, and the wrath of that set upon him, and that caused a separation between him and the Father because sin separates us from God. And God had never been separated from God before. That was not possible, but it was possible now. And it was that horrible emotional pain that he was really wanting to avoid. <laughs> he knew, he, I don't even know if he knew what that would be like because it, it had never happened before. But he knew he wasn't going to like it. <laughs> it wasn't going to be good because the father forsook Jesus on the cross because he was covered in our sin. So he had to be forsaken. And despite all of that that's going on, Jesus is thinking about other people and he's thinking about his mom. And I just, I just think that's so awesome. It's such a great, a great picture of, of the humanity of Jesus and how important a family is. It's, you, I've heard a lot of preachers talk about how, you know, I was a great preacher, a great pastor, a great evangelist, but not to my own family. And they don't even know me now and blah, 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 because I was working for the Lord, right? And as a kid growing up hearing that, a couple of people who said that almost as a brag, <laughs> like I'm working, I'm sacrificing so much for the Lord. And I'm like, you're sacrificing the wrong stuff. Like that's, even as a kid, I remember being like, I don't feel like that that's right to do. And I think I could show really conclusively from the gospels that that's not right because that's not what Jesus did. He spent the first 30 years of his life exclusively with his family, ministering to them. That was most of his life. Right? He could have started this job when he was 18 or 20. He waited to 30. That was old. He was 30 and unmarried, so he's already a freak in that culture. 
he spent most of his time on his family. And so, you know, if you ever think, oh, I'm not doing that big of stuff for God, I'd love to do more stuff for God, you probably have family members. You probably have friends. You probably have coworkers or people who live in the apartment next to yours. There are people that God has put in your direct circle of influence, and those are the people you're called to. You don't need to get a microphone or get up on a stage or go to Africa or do any of those things. They're all great things. But ministering just to your family is not a just. <laughs> it, it might be your main calling in life. I, I was a stay-at-home dad for a while, and at first I struggled with that. It's like, I should be preaching, and I should be doing this, and I should be doing that. And then God really showed me, no, your calling right now is your kids and your wife. And that is, that's all you're supposed to be doing right now. And that's all Jesus did for the vast majority of his life. And I had never thought about that before. And I was like, whoa, okay, all right, I'm going to do this then. I'm going to do this. And, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus' example and think about others, especially when things are tough. But that's what Jesus did from the cross. And we talked about all this a lot over the last year, about living above our circumstances, Right? And about how what we see as problems, God might intend us to see them as something different than just a problem. The cross is a problem for Jesus. It's painful. It's not good. But it was more than that. And he saw it from heaven's perspective that this is a tool. God's going to work good out of this absolutely horrible situation. And so whatever horrible situations you might find yourself in, God can definitely work good out of that. If he was able to work good out of what happened with Jesus, right? Um, but when, when we're going through something or when we have a difficult circumstance, it's hard to look past it. it it's hard to look from, Je- from God's perspective, Jesus' perspective, because we walk by sight most of the time. We don't walk by faith. Faith is what we don't see, belief in what we don't see, and acting accordingly, like you were sharing earlier, acting as if God's already given it to us when he hasn't yet. In actuality, he has yet. We just have to walk into it is usually the way it works. Um, but that is tough. And the harder your circumstance, the harder it is. And like I was saying to the kids, you know, we've been sick in our house for like seven weeks. And, you know, when you're in pain or when you're sick, it's really hard to do for somebody else. It's hard to see that God perspective because your body is just so tired and hurt and it's gross. And then your selfishness eventually comes to the forefront. It's like, this is so dumb. And I may have had a couple of those moments over the last couple months. Come on, God, what's the deal? Um, But when we can give those things over to Jesus at the cross, we can leave those things at the foot of the cross, he can help us to get past the selfishness and the, oh, woe is me, and the whining and complaining and all that, and move into walking by faith. We can't do that on our own. We can't make a decision, I'm going to let go of my selfishness and walk by faith now and be more like Jesus, like it doesn't work. And we might try it for a little bit, but it's not going to work. It has, it has to be the Holy Spirit. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord and say, God, I need you to help me. I need you to help me to give this stuff up. I need you to help me to set this stuff at the cross. Because my situation is still real. And it's still big. And I don't know what to do with it. It's a problem. But I'm going to give it to you. Help me to see beyond my perspective. Help me to walk by faith and not by sight. One of my favorite examples of that in the Bible is David. And I've mentioned this before, but... So the Philistines come against Israel, and normally in a war, you have two big armies smashed together and a bunch of people die, right? That's typical warfare. Um, The Philistines were super, super cocky, and so they offered what was called a champion battle instead. 
We'll send our champion, you send your champion, those two gals will fight, and whoever wins won the war. And we'll plunder you and stuff, right? Um, that was a gift to Israel from God. Goliath was a gift from God to Israel. Now, none of the Israelites saw Goliath as a gift. They saw Goliath as, oh my gosh, this dude's shoulders are like that big, okay? This was pre-steroids, right? So, like, this dude was immense. It calls him a giant, but, I mean, he's absolutely scary town. And they all see this, and they're like, this is a big problem. We are in trouble. David sees him and go, and he's like, David's like, what's going on? Oh, awesome. God's giving us a tremendous gift here. All we have to do is beat this giant instead of a whole army. All these soldiers are going to live. They would have died if we went like this for a few hours with swords. A lot of dads would die. A lot of sons would die. That's horrible, right? And God said, okay, I'm going to save all of your lives. All you have to do is beat one dude. And David's like, sweet, we can beat one dude. Look, at God is clearly in this. He's given us a gift. All we have to do is kill this giant. And everybody's like, who are you? Why do you have sheep? Where, where, what's going on? Uh, but somehow, I think Saul, who was anointed by God to be king, despite the fact that he was kind of nuts, I think he sensed the presence of God in David and that God was doing something. And so he's like, all right. And he sent David out as his champion, which was a huge move of faith on Saul's part. Because you don't send a little boy out to fight a giant. Because he's going to get crushed or cut in two, right? And then you're in trouble. They, they plunder your town. Probably drag off some of your kids, that sort of thing. Um, but Saul, God put enough faith in Saul to, to trust that David was the guy. And David t- obviously takes out Goliath, cuts off his giant head, keeps his sword. He get, he, David got to keep a bunch of cool stuff, all Goliath's cool stuff, which I'm guessing he used later to show people um, when he was king. And because of that, he got a job in the palace where he grew up learning how to be king, learning how courtly ways worked and stuff like that, which was very different than the shepherd field, right? And so God made a way for David to get an apprenticeship to be king one day. And that awesome way was facing a giant. And so it's just a matter of perspective. When we look at this from our perspective, we see all that because we see the end of the story. We can just read it. But when you are in your life and you're walking into it, you don't see the end of the story yet. You don't see that this horrible situation you're going through right now is what God is going to use to bring you to the next place you need to be and to increase your faith and to give you all these wonderful blessings. All we see is that this sucks. This is a giant. He's scary and smelly. I'm in trouble. That's what we see with our natural eyes. And so we need to learn to allow God to let us see through the eyes of faith. To be like, okay, God. There's a mountain in my way, and I don't know what to do about that mountain. So I'm trusting you to show me. And he's probably not going to show you the whole plan. He's probably going to show you the very next step. Um, What was that line? We were watching a show, and it was a great line. When you don't know what to do, just do the next right thing. Frozen 2. Frozen 2, that's right. We, we quote Frozen 2 in our house um, and in our sermons, apparently. And so, but like, it's good. I like that. You just, God's going to give you one step. You do the next thing that God tells you to do. That's all you need. You don't actually need to know God's will for your whole life. You don't need to know God's plan to get over the whole mountain. You just need to know where to put your foot next. And that's called walking with the Spirit, hand in hand. 
Jesus doesn't run up the mountain and say, come after me. Well, actually, he does once in a while. But most of the time, he wants you to walk hand in hand with him. And <clears throat> that is not something we can do if our selfishness is running the show. Okay? And when I say selfishness, I'm not talking about like pure evil. I mean, it's sinful, obviously. It's our old nature. But we all have it. Okay? And it's understandable. It's the natural reaction to things. But we need to learn to recognize when our selfishness is taking over, when we're starting to feel sorry for ourselves, and when we're sending out invitations to a pity party, it's like, okay, God, help me pull it back a notch, or maybe a hundred notches, depending on where we're at. Yet it's easy to spiral. We've all been there, probably this year already in 2020, where you start to spiral a little bit. God can help pull us out of those spirals. You know, humility is just the most important thing. If we get on our knees and say, God, I can't do this. I need you to help me. He will. But we have to be able to do that. And Jesus did that even from the cross, despite what he was going through. And so Paul can say, count it all joy when you face all kinds of troubles and persecutions. And he actually means it. You should be joyful when a problem shows up because God is now providing a way to do something supernatural that you would not have been able to do otherwise. Israel couldn't have avoided this war. David couldn't have gotten into the palace as a shepherd boy. God made a supernatural way, but it was through battle. It was through fighting. He couldn't ignore Goliath. He couldn't sit there and pray Goliath away. He had to put himself in God's hands and fight him. And that's something we don't like to do. We don't want to do. We prefer to avoid those kind of fights, most of us. Some of us are weird and we like fights, but um, I'm sometimes one of those, actually. Um, I blame the Viking genes. But we can't hide from this stuff. we got to walk up the mountain one step at a time. And it might be hard, it might be cold, and it might be difficult, but we, we can do it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we can count it all joy, even when a Goliath shows up, even when a mountain shows up. I mean, it's going to be pretty when you get up there. Right? There's, and on the other side, who knows what you're going to find? The promised land might be on the other side of a mountain. In the, in the scriptures, the promised land was on the other side of a river that they couldn't cross. Well, there it is, God. We finally made it after 40 years of not knowing where we're going. But we can't get there. Well, way to go, God. This is bad planning. Right? They had to get through. And God, of course, was like, dude, you don't think I had this planned like a really long time ago? Of course I did. You can get over this problem too. And they did. So don't miss out on your promised land because the mountain looks too high. Don't miss out on your promised land because Goliath is too scary or because he brought a couple of his buddies along and they're ganging up on you. Don't miss out on your promised land because nobody else is there at the foot of the cross and all your buddies aren't there and you wish they were and people are abandoning you. Don't miss out on the promised land because of that. And I, I like the thief on the cross, um, the good one. There was one who was blasphemous and there was another who was like, okay, I know I stink and I recognize that you don't. He recognized who Jesus was and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But that thief still had to get through being crucified before he could be with Jesus in paradise. So there, we still have to cross that river. We climb that mountain, kill that giant, endure that suffering on the cross, whatever it is in the season that we're in right now. But if we do it through the eyes of faith, holding the hand of Jesus as we do it, we can get through it. 
And in many cases, we're going to look back and we're, we're going to be like, that wasn't fun, but I am glad it happened because it opened the door to this or that that I couldn't have gotten to otherwise. Okay, we're not masochists. We don't love the pain. Jesus did not love the pain. But we do recognize that through the pain, God can do something awesome. And in many cases, it's something that he couldn't have done otherwise. He couldn't have gotten David where he needed to be in any other way. If he had just showed up and been like, hey, I've been anointed to be king, kill him. Saul would have not liked that, right? This is how it had to happen. It's not the way we would choose. <laughs> Having to fight the giant, climb the mountain, cross the river, those aren't the things we would choose. We would like it to be gift-wrapped, right? On a beach <laughs> with some sort of umbrella drink. And it's just not going to happen. We got to work now. We get that later. That's the heaven. That's the reward, okay? I I'm guessing we all have an awesome timeshare for years at a time in heaven. That's a reward. But right now, we're in the battle. Right now, we work. Right now, we climb the mountains and we fight the giants. It's, we're not here that long. We only have a few opportunities to fight those giants. So don't run away from your chance because you're going to die soon. Sorry. I think you all know that. Andrew, you are going to die soon. I'm going to die sooner, but you're still only going to be around another century and a half or so. After the singularity. Um, and that's not very long compared to eternity. So don't waste your time here running away from giants and crying at the foot of the mountain that you can't get up. It's okay to cry. I, I'm not trying to lessen your, the struggles or the mountains or the problems or make little of them. You can't make little of the cross. This is real stuff, serious stuff. You guys are going through real stuff, serious stuff, or you just have or you're going to later. It's real. It's serious. But God's going to use that. You can count it all joy and you can get through it. Jesus got through the cross. He made it through. Without the selfishness, he was thinking about others. So what are the things you're facing right now? We all have some. Why don't we take a minute and just think about it? You probably don't need to think much about it because it's at the forefront of your mind at all times. If you're in the middle of one right now, but maybe there's one in the past you can think about. What are the things you're going through that aren't going that well? Um, I think Jesus on the cross shows us that we can react in the opposite spirit of whatever it is that's happening in our situation. And that can often be a key to defeating that giant. That can be one of the stones like David had in his sling, is reacting in the opposite way. So Jesus is experiencing hatred and murder and violence. And so he responds in the opposite way. He responds, he could have sent angels to like behead all these suckers who deserve it, right? But he reacts in the opposite spirit, and he forgives, and he loves, and makes sure other people are taken care of. While he's being murdered, he's making sure other people are being taken care of. Are you okay, Jesus? I mean, like, he's dying, and he's doing that opposite spirit. And so, and that is a weapon against, that's, that's a, sometimes you can find a ski lift up part of that mountain. If, if you get this one right, and say, what is the opposite of what the devil is coming against me, or life coming against me, or whatever it is? What's the opposite of that? Like, for example, if we're battling a lot of illness, maybe we spend more time praying for other people to get 
well for visiting sick people. If we are having a financial crisis, we don't decrease our giving, we increase it. That's an act of faith. If we are in fear because we lost our job and we might end up in the poorhouse, that's the fear, right? We have that fear. And so combat that fear by giving money to the poor. To prove to God, I am not afraid. I am in your hands. And to prove it, I'm going to give to the poor and bless them, even though I'm a little bit afraid that I might become them. So you're like preemptively faith-killing the problem, right? And I think in that case, I think that's a really a double. <laughs> because not only are you doing the opposite spirit, but when you are becoming more poor, you give. And there's, real, there's a lot of power in that. Trust me, there's tons of power in that because that's a pretty strong act of faith. Um, if you're tempted to feel sorry for yourself, this is a more personal one, if you're tempted to be sorry for yourself or you find yourself writing out those invitations for the pity party, try instead to turn on some worship music or to praise or to thank God. Thanking God when you have a long list of things you are not thankful for is really powerful. God, I don't like what's happening. I am very unthankful for some of this stuff. But to respond in the opposite spirit and thank God for all the blessings you do have, and then you can strengthen yourself up through faith that you can get to the point where, God, and I thank you that you are bringing me out of this situation. And I thank you even for this situation because I know that through this horrible thing, you're somehow going to do something awesome in my life. And now you're walking in victory, and you're walking with a heavenly perspective down at your problems versus staring up at the giant being like, oh, crap. But you can't do that on our own. That's not a natural response. That is a supernatural response. We have to ask the Lord to do that, and he will do that. And I, I see him doing that on the cross, and I think that's an awesome, awesome example. Um, I'm going to pray now, and then have us break up into pairs or, or two or three people or whatever. Um, and I'd like you to share maybe one thing. It could be a present thing. It could be a past thing. It could be a small thing be a massive thing pray for or share for just like 30 seconds really quick Blah. this is what this is what the deal is and then pray have somebody else pray for you part part of this process is humility and asking for a prayer and help from other people right and that's part of what we're supposed to be as a church is we bear one another's burdens and if we never tell anybody that we're struggling then it's hard for us to know okay so let's share that pray and then the other person share and we can pray um, keep the sharing Lesser in the prayer, bigger, if that makes sense. So I'm going to pray and do the benediction, then we'll do that for a few minutes. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for what you were willing to do and go through for us. It's, I'm always in awe of the way that you were able to respond and to endure through the cross, and that you were thinking about your family while you were saving the universe. It's, it's really humbling and really beautiful. And we, we thank you for that. And we know that you know what it's like to have people forsake you and betray you and not show up when you need them. And we know you know what it's like to suffer. You know what it's like to face massive giants, to face really, really difficult times. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you made it through. Not only did you get, win the victory for yourself, you won the victory for everyone, literally. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you would help us through our own cross, help us through our own 
valley, the mountain we need to climb, the river we need to ford, the, the giants that are ambushing us, whatever our situation is, or just the unknown. The future is, is scary. The unknown is scary. And so, Lord, whatever we are facing, we pray that you would help us to face it on our knees, to give the fear over to the cross, to set all those things that try to hold us back down at your feet on the cross, and to let your spirit show us how to live by faith and not by sight. And help us to get better also at encouraging others and other people. When you're like, ooh, you're going through something. I've been through stuff. I want to pray for you. Help us, Lord, to get better at thinking of others so that we can get to the point where even when we're going through stuff, we can think about others. Even when we're really sick, we can pray for someone else to be healed. Even when we're concerned about money, that we can give money to the poor who need it more. I pray that you would bring us to that, that level of walking by faith, to that level of being like your son. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. And also, since we had communion, I declare to all of you that your sins are forgiven. Thanks to what Jesus did for you on the cross. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.